0: Good morning Grace. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning everyone. Yes, so today we would be reading from 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 15. Again, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 15. And if you have your pew Bible with you, you can open to page oh, sorry, 967, 967 of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in designing it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have for if the readiness is there it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what it does not have for i do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened But as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Amen.
1: morning, church. Before we get started, let me just say these flowers here were placed by Josh Seawalk in honor of his wife Patsy Seawalk for their one-year wedding anniversary. So congratulations, Josh and Patsy. That's exciting. I want to thank every one of you who participated this past week in our week of prayer. We've had lots of, lots of you out praying every single day for God to use our church to impact our community and our world. So far this week, we've had nearly 200 people come out to one of our prayer meetings or participate. So praise God for that. This really is a praying church, and I can't wait to see how God answers our prayers. Uh, so don't forget tonight, 6 p.m., let's earnestly see God together, and we invite you to join us. We are in this series, our January series entitled Growing in Grace, which we started last week. And we're looking at various ways that we grow as Christians. And we do a series like this to start each year, typically, uh, because we, we do it as a way of kind of realigning our hearts and minds to uh, our collective calling and our mission as a church. Right? This is part of our mission statement, to bring glory to God by making fully devoted followers of Christ. Who passionately love God and people. You see that gospel vision that, that the pastors years ago kind of came up with, that the gospel is at the center and we, we worship, uh, we have community, we have disciple making and service, that these four areas, four pillars, these help us gauge, are we growing as Christians? Are we growing as a church? And so how do we fulfill this mission? How do we do this? We need a goal. We need clarity. We need um, a process. You see, listen, look at me. No one drifts into godliness. Did you know that? No one coasts into greater holiness. And so if you're coasting, you're not growing. And so we want to help you see in this series that, that the Christian life is not like A river cruise where you sit and watch the beautiful scenes while people bring you refreshments. Those are nice. I'd love to be on one one day. But that's not the Christian life. No, the Christian life is actually more like a marathon. We are running. We are sweating. We are pushing ourselves. We're striving. And yet all the while, it is Jesus himself supplying us with all the grace, all the strength, all the hope, all the endurance, and all the joy we need to keep running looking unto Him. So growing in grace. There are many ways to kind of gauge how we are growing in our spiritual walk, growing in grace. We can ask things like, how's your prayer life? That was last week. We start that every year. How's your appetite for the Word of God? Do you see that the Christian life cannot be uh, lived apart from God's Word? feeding on God's Word? Do you desire to reach others for Christ? Is your love for the church, the body of Christ, growing? Are you using your gifts to serve others, and serve God? What is your attitude toward money? Do you see the value of giving? Today, growing in the grace of giving. I, I do this every time I preach on it. I always have to give a couple qualifiers up front, I get it. Whenever a pastor or minister brings up the topic of money, some people get uncomfortable and maybe even suspicious. And and you have good reason because there are charlatans that out there. TV preachers, you could watch some this morning who are asking for money and making false promises. And they get rich off of well-meaning people, and it's wrong and it's evil, and I am sorry to stand among those who claim the name of Christ doing it. I can say a number of things. I, I guess I could, one, I would just say, look, you can walk out with me to my car afterwards and see that I'm not driving a Rolls Royce, right? So if you want to check out my sweet 11-year-old Honda Civic, I'll gladly give you the keys to take it for a spin. Um, honestly, if you consider all the worry and all the stress and all the conflict and all the problems that revolve around money... Wouldn't it be strange and even unloving if, as one of your pastors, I didn't address something so significant to your life? If you're new here and you're like, ah, I came to church my first time in a while, of course they're talking about money. Look, stick around long enough, the Bible is full of teaching on money. Thousands of verses. Jesus taught on money more than he taught on heaven and hell. Why? Because he knew that our, that our view of money shapes our lives and our very soul. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That was Jesus who said that. Here's what we repeatedly find in the New Testament. When a person experiences the new birth spiritually through faith in Jesus Christ, their view of wealth and money radically changes. I went to the doctor this week for, uh, for a physical. The doctor reminded me that now that I'm 40, there's all kinds of things that they need to be looking out for. Thank you, doctor. Um, and so my doc, my doc asked me all kinds of questions about my health, my family history of health, my, my eating habits. What are you eating? How much are you eating? My sleep habits. He asked me about the stressors in my life. How's your job? How stressful is it? How demanding is it? I said, how much time do you have? No. (laughs) Look, if I were to say to him, Doc, thanks for for asking those things, but, but honestly, I just want you to talk about my physical health. I don't want you to talk about any of these other things. I don't need you to address these other areas. Just focus on my physical health, okay? Stay in your lane, If I were to say that to him, what would he say? He'd say, you need to find another doctor. I can't help you. Because all those areas are interconnected, aren't they? In the same way, if you were to go to God and and say, God, I want to get healthy spiritually. I want to grow. I want your love and your peace and your joy. I want to live with hope. God will say, great. I'm glad you came in to see me. Let's talk about your relationships. Let's talk about your your spiritual practices, your disciplines. Let's talk about your work. Let's talk about your money. God will say, look, unless you're willing to talk to me about your money, you really don't want me to be your Lord. What we're going to see in this passage today is that there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put money and your view of money into the hands of God. There can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put money and your view of money into God's hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The background to this chapter and the next chapter is that Paul has been going around the churches in Asia Minor, and he was taking up a collection. The money from this collection was to be given as a gift to the church in Jerusalem, Where the church actually began because the church there that that region had been hit very hard by a famine and it's historically evidenced but they're experiencing a famine and so he's asking all these other churches to provide financial support to that church and so paul brings up this collection in several of his letters and and he uses that appeal to bring up the the idea the topic of generosity and he uses it as an opportunity to teach on the spiritual practice of giving So please note, this is about specifically the collection, but it's really more broadly about giving, about stewardship, about how we use our resources. And what we know, if you read the New Testament, is that the early church was committed, 100% committed to, to generous giving in two ways. One, the early Christians were committed to generous giving to support the work of local churches and missionaries and two, to help the poor. You can read any of the New Testament letters. They're they're committed to doing those two things. And so here in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is encouraging the Christians in Corinth to give generously, and he begins this appeal by using the Christians in Macedonia, which was another area, as an example. So lesson number one, generous giving is rooted in and motivated by the grace of God. Generous giving is rooted in and motivated by the grace of God. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul introduces the topic of giving by describing it as the grace of God. Do you see that? In fact, he uses the term grace in in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, he uses the term grace uh, 10 times, over and over, describing the practice of giving as grace. And I think this is an important paradigm shift for some of us today. Do you see giving as a chore, as simply a duty of the Christian life? Do you see giving as something you have to do, like when we tell our kids, eat your vegetables? and they begrudgingly do it, and they scarf them down to move on? Or do you see giving as the grace of God in your life? Paul says to the church in Corinth, I want you to know about the grace of God at work in the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was a Roman province that for a number of reasons, they themselves were incredibly poor. And yet there are several churches that Paul himself had helped plant there philippi we get the letter of philippians or thessalonica those are both in macedonia and verse 2 paul describes the christians of macedonia as being in look a severe test of affliction and then later and in extreme poverty affliction is the idea that they're being pressed in on in other words they were being crushed by life The surrounding culture was squeezing the Christians in Macedonia harder and harder because of their
2: devotion to Jesus Christ. They were also experiencing extreme poverty. Who knows, maybe wages were not keeping up with
1: inflation. Maybe gas prices were sky high. I don't know what's happening in Macedonia. But many Christians were struggling to make it. He's not being he's not he's not exaggerating severe affliction extreme poverty and yet in the midst of that what does Paul say they had this abundance of joy that overflowed in a wealth of generosity
2: how in the world is that possible and the answer is grace the grace of God this is the paradox of the Christian
1: life Jesus says, you must die to self in order to truly live to God. The the New Testament teaches that if you humble yourself before the Lord, God himself will exalt you. It's the upside down nature. In God's economy, it actually makes complete sense that the precious treasure of grace in our lives would be forged in the furnace of affliction and hardship. The Christians of Macedonia were not motivated by self-glory. They didn't say, look at what we've done. Look how much we're giving. They were not motivated by the fear of punishment. God's going to get us unless we give. No. And they weren't motivated by guilt. Ah, oh, I really, I feel guilty unless I'm giving. I got to get make God happy. No, they were motivated by the grace of God. Please hear me. Grace doesn't just save us from our sin. It frees us from specific sins like materialism or greed or fear that we won't have enough. Yes, grace saves us from our sin, big picture, but it also frees us from specific sins. And the Christians in Macedonia heard of the financial need in the Jerusalem church that they're dealing with the famine there. And in spite of their own hardships, look at what they did. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Paul says they gave beyond their means of their own accord. What does that mean? First, It means no one was forcing them to give of their own accord, freely. They gave willingly. In fact, Paul, very likely, he didn't even ask them to give. He knew their situation. He knew their affliction and their poverty. He would never have asked them to give. He's asking the church at Corinth to give because they're doing better. They're pretty affluent in the the city of Corinth. In verse 4, though, he says... They were the ones, in Macedonia, they were the ones, quote, begging earnestly for the favor or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. They considered it a privilege to give.
2: They said to Paul, Paul, don't deny us the honor of giving even out of our need.
1: This is incredible. Generous giving we, we learn from God's word generous giving transcends trials. They weren't just dealing with material hardships, they were spirit, they were being spiritually persecuted, and yet they were convinced that because of the grace of God in their lives, God would supply all of their needs. They trusted God. In fact. Paul had to remind the Christians in Corinth that this was true. He says in the next chapter, listen, you give, you give generally, because this is true. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do You see what he's telling the church in Corinth? You you can trust God, just like the Macedonian Christians, that, that God will provide everything you need at the right time, in the right way, in the right place, in every situation, so that you may abound in every good work. And he's saying, do you believe that? You see, although the Macedonians didn't possess much materially, they were actually very wealthy. They marveled at the richness of the gift of Jesus, that Jesus would reconcile undeserved sinners like us to God. They had found in Jesus a, a supernatural strength for the present and a, and a bright hope for the future, and that transformed them to be a conduit of grace, and they and they poured that grace into others, and they considered it a privilege to give. Does that describe your heart posture toward giving? When you hear the financial needs of the church week in and week out, whether it's how much we are behind budget or whatever, or you may hear of a particular ministry, a missionary has a need, does your heart long to help? Or do you think, oh, someone else will take care of that? Or, or maybe worse, like the church doesn't really need it. The Macedonian Christians didn't just give according to their means, but beyond their means. In other words, it was sacrificial
2: giving. They didn't give out of abundance, they gave out of their lack. I remember
1: a time when I was in Africa on a missions trip to Burkina Faso. In West Africa, one of the smallest and poorest countries in the world. And we went into this very remote village and the, the ministry leaders who were there prepped us, a few pastors, and, and told us what to expect as we entered into this village. And, and really, they couldn't tell us anything to prepare us for what, what I saw. I saw poverty like I never experienced before. And you know, houses were mud huts and thatched roofs. And I'm, I entered into this home of of, of a family and it was maybe 10 by 10 dirt floor in the corner was where they had a fire going inside their home, that's that's where the kitchen was next to the bed, next to the floor where they would sit, I mean that was everything everything they owned was in there and we enter in and, and they were honored to have us and, and this family lived on less than a dollar a day and we enter in and we sit on the floor and between us, six or seven of us there are
2: three bottles of Coke soda and I knew that's all they were offering no food no snacks
1: just these bottles of soda which I had come to find out cost more than they made in
2: a week and at first I was committed I was not going to drink it There was no way I would do that to them
1: but this family insisted and they convinced us it was their honor and they were overjoyed to have us visit with them in their home to talk about Jesus together and they
2: wanted to sacrificially give to us. Isn't that incredible? That's the grace of giving. It's not, I can't, I can't attribute it to anything else. How is that possible? Lesson number two. This is how. Because generous giving flows from understanding the lordship of Christ.
1: Verse 5 tells us how it was possible for the Macedonian churches to give sacrificially. It says, And this, in their their giving, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The reason anyone can give so eagerly and so sacrificially is because they have given themselves first to the Lord. The Macedonian Christians saw giving as an expression of their belief, their fundamental belief, that Jesus owns it all. That Jesus is Lord. Do you recognize that one, you belong to the Lord, and that two, all that belongs to you actually belongs to the Lord? There are many verses that point to this. Psalm 24, verse 1 The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Anyone excluded from that?
2: Everything everywhere,
1: everyone everywhere, you belong to the Lord. Another psalmist says, the the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Or as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, the only way you can give to further the gospel through a local church or give to a missionary or give to help the poor, whether here or around the world. The only way you can do that is with an abundance of, the only way you can do that with an abundance of joy is when you understand that the Lord really does own it all anyway. Have you committed to the Lord all that you are and all that you have? This is a fundamental question. Have you said to the Lord, "Everything I have, Lord." My children, my marriage, my job, my house, my time, my money, my retirement accounts, my car, my tools, my clothes, my body, all of it belongs to you. Do with it as you will.
2: Have you said that? Can you say that? You see, one of the clearest ways to know that you understand the lordship of
1: Christ in your life is what you do with your money. If you don't give at all, or maybe you give sort of, you see giving as kind of like a tipping of God, oh, it's a pretty good service here, it's a couple dollars, God. No, then you don't understand the lordship of Christ. You need to give yourself first to the Lord. That's what they did. And I do believe that for some of you, this is the key to unleashing your heart, to trust God with everything, and therefore to be able to give generously as a reflection of that trust. When you give yourself first to the Lord, Paul says, you will
2: be compelled to give generously to meet the physical and spiritual needs of others. Verse 7, he says to the church in Corinth, "You, you excel in many ways.
1: I comm- I've commended you You're in faith, and knowledge, and speech, in love. And yet, Paul says, in spite, despite all of those areas of growth which are good, there's still a blind spot in your spiritual growth. You must excel in this grace also, this grace of giving. Paul's teaching us that generosity is an ex- essential expression of what it means to be spiritually mature, you can give to Jesus your money, and He still not have your heart. Did you know that? There are many people who give to Christian organizations, but they don't. The Lord doesn't have their heart. But I can tell you this: Jesus can't rule your heart if He's not ruling over your money. Over the years, I've heard a lot of reasons why someone can't give to the Lord, and we've talked through it. I'm too young. I'm too old too many bills. I don't have a full-time job yet. When I was a student, lots of my friends, I'm a student. I must be exempt. Uh, my kids are in school still. I'm on a fixed income. You name whatever your unique situation is. And as your pastor, hear me now. I say this in love, and I say it based on God's word and my own personal experience, the joy of learning this, this principle. Excel in the grace of giving and excel in it now. And by the way, this is in my notes. If you have children, can I implore you, encourage your children to learn it now. Encourage your children. When I was a kid, I thank God for my mom and dad. That When I made, when I made a dollar, they, they showed me what it was like to put 10 cents aside. And when I earned $10, I, I put $1 aside. And it's not like, oh, come on, why are you taking the kid's money? No, 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 do you understand? The principle applies as a child to know all of it belongs to the Lord. I can give some of it and still use some of it. You know why? Because when I got to college and then and got into to working environments, my, my college friends would say to me, how can I give hundreds of dollars to the church? This is crazy. Second to my mortgage. I don't give anything like that anywhere. Because they didn't learn to give a dollar and ten dollars. It became very difficult to give hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. Encourage your kids to see the joy of it. That God provides good things. That we can entrust Him with all of it. Lesson number three. Generous
2: giving is proof of the genuineness of your love. This is what Paul teaches us. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to
1: prove that by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's telling us generosity is a proof that grace has changed your heart. That that your love is genuine. That's why Paul won't command them. Notice he says, I won't command you to give. It's not a command. I'm not even going to command you to give a certain amount. He wants them to show that their love is genuine, that it's real. You see, love is at the heart of giving. That's why I said earlier, we don't just give out of duty or, or chore, we give out of love. Giving out of obligation, does, it just takes away the beauty of giving, doesn't it? If, I, if, if at my next anniversary, my wife comes home and I have a beautiful display of flowers and maybe a box of, of chocolates, although oh, she didn't care for chocolates, but, but a nice candle. Now I'm, I'm thinking it out loud as I go, actually. So I get a nice candle and thing of flowers and she comes home and she's like, wow, honey, thank you, you, you didn't have to do that. If I were to say, you're actually right, I didn't have to. I felt obligated to, though. So there you go. Happy anniversary. Would that count? No. No. Right? Without love, the gift is meaningless. It should be love that's driving the gift. Love that drives the giving. It's love that makes the gift genuine and beautiful. Giving shows the genuineness of our love. Another way of saying it is talk is cheap. The real proof of love is in our actions. I'm going to do a couple verses here in in, in this point. Just, Just read it. Just read along with me. Here's what John says. The Apostle John. If anyone has the world's goods... So you decide if that's you, but if you live in America, you have the world's goods. And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in, word, in deed and in truth. Giving provides the proof that our love for God and others is real. And that's why Paul won't command them to give. He wants love to be the heart, the heart from the heart to motivate their giving. And that's why you, you can say all you want, "I love Jesus. He's amazing. I love the local church, I love my church. It's amazing. But if you never give to spread the gospel, if you don't invest in gospel advance, do you really love Jesus?
2: Do you really love his bride? Giving shows us what we really love. And the,
1: the, the Christians in Corinth, is interesting what he says here, if you track with him, he says in verse nine, eight, 9, 10, that they had this desire to give. And he's known that for a while. Over a year ago, they committed to giving, but they never put that desire, that commitment into action. It's been over a year and they haven't given anything. But they said, we want to give, we want to help. And so verses 10 to 13, Paul addresses that. He says, look, you have good intentions. That's fine, but it's not enough. He says, even good intentions, if unfulfilled, can leave others in great hardship. We can become so preoccupied with life that we forget to follow through with our commitment to give. That's why Paul said in his first letter, at the end of his first letter, he instructed them, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, or another way of saying that, in keeping with your income, so that there will be no collecting when I come. What's he teaching there? He's teaching that our giving should be systematic, not sporadic. Our giving should be systematic or regular so that our action will demonstrate our genuine desire. Do you do this? Do you give systematically in keeping with your income? In other words, that that literally means percentage giving. People ask me all the time, they ask our pastors, does your church teach tithing? And our answer is no, we don't. Tithing is a, is a law, it's under the old covenant, a mosaic law, where they, the God's people, the Israelites, were required to tithe. And by the way, there were like three tithes and then one every couple of years, so it wasn't just 10%, it was a lot more than that. But let's just say tithing is 10%. Are we required to give 10%? And the answer is no, we're not under the law, we're under grace. No, so
2: you don't have to give 10%. There's the answer. So then how much do we give? I don't know. I'll say this
1: if God required a tenth from his people when they were under the law, it's just hard to imagine that after the cross, we would give less. Again, you you decide. I'm going to read a verse in a minute that helps you see. You decide. But look, look, when I say being under grace, we're, we're in grace. Being under grace doesn't free us to do less. It never does. It frees us to do more. Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. All right, there's the line. And Jesus says, yeah, well, I say, don't even look at a woman lustfully in your heart. Don't commit murder. There's the line. Jesus takes it further. Yeah, but don't even hate your brother in your heart. What? Look at the example of the Macedonians. They understood grace. Did it encourage them to give less? No, they gave according to and beyond their means. Look at Jesus. When Jesus made you his treasure, how much did he give? Not a tenth, not a portion. He gave sacrificially. He gave it all. He gave in a way to show his love. If you want to give in a way that shows that the gospel has really changed your heart, you have to give in a way that shows that it's sacrificial. And I don't know where that line is. I don't know what that number is. In fact, I don't know what anyone here gives at all. I'm thankful for that. But I know that if you give sacrificially, it will change your lifestyle. For some of us, 10% is nearly impossible You want to give generosity, but you can't because of various obligations or struggles. I've been there. I'm just encouraging you, move in that direction. Move in a direction. Work on a budget. Take steps to reigning and spending. We can help. We do a class, Financial Peace University. We have men who are ready right now. You say, I want financial counseling. We can help. For many of us, 10% would be a sacrifice. But increasingly in America, there are some some of us for
2: whom 10% won't even make a dent. It won't feel like a sacrifice. And so here's where I land. The
1: very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion,
2: for God loves a cheerful giver. Would you give willingly? Would you give sacrificially? Would you give joyfully? That's the answer. That's the answer
1: when you can say yes to that. That generous giving flows from a heart of love. And finally, generous giving is empowered by the gospel. How do we get here? How do we get to this point that Paul describes, that Paul is giving us here? How do we break the power, the allure of money in our lives? What will compel you to give generously? Because I know this, it probably isn't a single sermon that will do that. Maybe, I don't know. But I know what will. The gospel of Jesus Christ can and will. That's why right in the middle of this teaching on money and giving, Paul can't help but connect it straight to Jesus. Look at verse 9 again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Rich.
2: What? What is he saying? He's he's telling us this is the gospel, this is the good news. He's
1: reminding the church at Corinth, you want to know what will open your grip? Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what he did. Remember that Jesus was infinitely wealthy in eternity past. He literally was rich. He he held galaxies in his hand, right? He ruled over the universe. There was nothing Jesus didn't have. He had glory. He had love. He had security. He had power. He had joy. He had peace. By the way, that's everything we think money can give us. He had all those things already. And if he stayed rich, we would die poor because we would die in our sins.
2: So what did Jesus do with all of that wealth? He gave it up. He gave it up for you. Literally, the king becomes a beggar. The
1: Holy One became the sin bearer for you. He became poor so that you might become rich, so that you could experience all the wealth of Jesus' glory and beauty and security and love and joy and peace. That's what it means to be rich spiritually here. Paul is saying, Christians, behold Jesus on the cross. Remember Jesus on the cross. Consider Jesus on the cross. Dying so you can live. Suffering so you can be set free. He's saying, let the beauty and power of God's grace grip your heart that he gave his son
2: for you. And if you're tired of hearing that, would you give your child for your enemy? He did. Marvel that marvel that
1: you have been given everything, and it doesn't cost you anything because it cost Jesus everything.
2: That's the gospel of grace. Unconditional love for undeserving people. You know what that means, Christian? You know what that means, church? It means you are his treasure. You see, we saying Christ our treasure, but it starts with him making you his treasure when you
1: finally see him making you his treasure, when it finally sinks in, when you, when you grow in your understanding that you are his treasure, you won't be able to help but say, Jesus, you are now my treasure. And the more the gospel of grace sinks into your heart, the more that, that him being your treasure will release your hands over any earthly treasure to say, God, do what you will. However you want to do. I want to give joyfully, sacrificially. I want to enjoy the things you do give to us. I don't want to live as as if I'm a masochist. I'm going to live enjoying the gifts that you've given because Jesus is most precious to you. And when he is, you'll realize that everything else is expendable. The Macedonians got this. And in their poverty, they gave generously. May we learn to do the same in our affluence. I know there are some of you here today who... If you're honest, you're not even a Christian. Maybe your parents are Christians. Maybe you walked in, you're new to the area. Maybe you're exploring Christianity. I want you to know we're glad you're here. This is a place where you can ask questions, where you can wrestle with doubts, where you can seek answers, and you're here for a reason. And if the things I'm talking about in terms of money and and giving and generosity are kind of foreign, here's what I want you to know right now. Your greatest need is not to understand what it looks like for you to give to God. Your greatest need is to understand and believe the greatest gift that has been given to you. You need a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you know Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, money will lose its grip on your heart. It has to. That's what he does best. He loosens all the other things, and he grabs a hold of our heart. If you don't know Jesus today, what I'm calling you to is to turn from whatever you've been looking to, turn to your, from yourself, from whatever, and receive Jesus as your Savior. Can I do two things as I close? One, I just want to encourage you with, with one thing as a church. 23% of every dollar that comes into our general fund goes to missions. I don't know if you knew that. In other words, you give $100 to Grace Baptist Church, $23 gets set aside to go to missionaries that we partner with all over the world. Well, this past year, as I've been looking at how we were doing and what we were able to do, 2022, as a church, this church didn't just give that 23%. You all gave above and beyond that, and we gave a record $623,000 to missions. And I say that not boasting, not but giving thanks to God setting up like the Macedonians as an example in our afflictions, in our financial struggle, and yet in the abundance of joy, you all gave in an overflowing wealth of generosity. Think about what would happen if every Christian here started giving generously to spread God's kingdom. Whenever I share on giving, I'll just close with this, I do this every time because I want you to know I don't ask you to do anything that my family is not already doing. Danny Beth and I seek to live by this motto. God prospers us not just to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Ever since we got married, we decided to start with 10% to our local church and support other missionaries beyond that. And as the Lord provided more, we would gradually increase the percentage every year. Is it hard?
2: Is it scary? Does it stretch us? Yes. That's the tears. (laughs) Do we always
1: get it right? No. But we desperately want Jesus to be our greatest treasure, not our money. And it's a joy for us to do this. I'll just say, you, you will never miss the money you give to the Lord. May each of us grow and excel in the grace of giving. Let's pray.
2: Father, we recognize that everything we are and all that we have comes from you because it belongs to you. We are honored to be stewards, managers of
1: things here on earth. May we be found faithful. That's my prayer for our church. May we be found faithful. And in that faithfulness, may we excel using the biblical language, using Paul's language, may we excel in the grace of giving. Even as we, I pray that we excel in the grace of of praying and reading God's word and living in community and next week making disciples and all the things that, 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 that look like growing in our spiritual maturity. God, may we grow in this grace and may we see it as your grace at work in us. We need you to do it in us. We desperately need you to do it because we desperately want Jesus to be our greatest treasure, not any earthly treasure. Prepare our hearts now as we enter this time of of communion,
2: this grace. Again, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.